Welcome back to Recipe to the Road podcast. This is episode 18. I'm super excited to release this episode. It's an interview with my school friend Gordon Garrity, who speaks about what it's like traveling with autism. He explains a little bit about what autism is and how it affects him while traveling. And he also shares some tips for people who might be on the spectrum or also people who might be neurodivergent in other ways. Or honestly, anyone can benefit from these tips. They're, they're really good. So yeah, definitely give it a listen and let me know what you think. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Gordon, thank you so much for joining me on the Recipe to the Road podcast, all the way from Melbourne in Australia. Uh, so what time is it where you are now? Okay, thanks for having me, Maria. It is just gone 7am here with me. Well, thank you very much for joining me first thing in the morning. I do appreciate that, and I'll try to go easy on you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're going to talk to me today about your experience traveling and about what that is like as a person with autism. So I really do appreciate you talking about this topic because I think... Maybe it will be helpful to a lot of people, both on the spectrum and those not on the spectrum who just maybe struggle with some things that you might be able to help with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for anyone that's listening, we'll we'll jump straight into it. But for anyone who's listening, who's not really familiar with what autism is, can you kind of explain a bit about that and how it sort of affects you or other people in their day to day lives? Sure. So how I like to describe it to most people, because when I want to state before I begin that when I explain what autism is that it is every time you've met someone with autism you've met one person with autism we're all different so when I describe what it is to me that's what it is to me someone else who like I have a friend another friend who is who's autistic and we're quite different so I'll try and explain that before getting into it so the main thing that most people with autism spectrum Um, syndrome have is different levels of sensitivity whether that be touch uh, hearing sight sound cognitive abilities things like this and because it's such a spectrum you'll see a wide variety of changes across the spectrum so for myself my main things are uh, audio sounds so I notice everything's quite heightened for me and one example is I could be at a restaurant and I can hear the people like at the bar. If I'm sitting at a table, I could hear the people at the bar almost louder than the person right in front of me. It's it's a very it's a very strange feeling. But I find if I'm in a crowded space, I can I can hear the surroundings a lot more, a lot louder than the people right in front of me. And then it's and then something that I know that I like to describe is emotional color blindness. And the reason I describe this is most people with autism i wouldn't say that we're um we're not emotive like most it's either one or two ways either people are not emotive or they're very emotive almost they feel too much and that's what so and i would describe myself as almost feeling too much emotion so like when someone when i'm meeting someone and they're expressing i don't know happiness sadness i'm almost like like a chameleon like I almost like feel their emotions and I take them on very very quickly but going back to the color blindness is most people with autism tend to mix up their emotions or not understand 
how their own feeling. So I describe this as being colorblind to emotions, where if you have the main spectrum of colors, like what is it, green, yellow, blue? <laughs> yeah, green, yellow, and blue, that most people with autism might mix up one or two of them. Like someone with colorblindness can actually mix up the, like a red with a brown or a yellow with an orange. We can do that with our own emotions. So when you're, when you actually see kids now in school, and I love this, you'll see they're not asked how they're feeling anymore. They're usually asked, what color are you feeling? And then they're given a chart of colors. Like, what zone are you in? So like my nephew, Tig, who's autistic, he, he was able to tell me exactly how he felt through color when he was four. So he would say, Gordon, I'm in the blue zone right now. And I would say, what, what does that mean? And then he would show me his chart. And then in the chart, it would have different faces, different like emotions within blue. That could be sad, upset, also jealous, also just a bit like confused. But he didn't know how to explain which one he felt. So he would just say, I'm in this. And then that could help me understand. And I think explaining the like, so the sensory aspect as well as the emotion aspect covers the vast majority of people with autism. It's just how different they are to every single person. So yeah, I think that's a good explanation of what autism is. Yeah, I think that that's pretty easy to understand as well. That's amazing. And what you're saying about Tig, like that, it's so empowering as a four-year-old to know that. Because I think whether like on the spectrum or not, when we were growing up, like no one talks about feelings. Like, oh yeah, no one talks about that. He's able to. Like there was one day when he was five, and it just he he came up to me. We were playing with Legos or something. He got frustrated and he said, "Gordon, I need space. Can you give me some space?" And I just looked at him and went, "Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What like." He said, okay, I'm going to go read a book in my room. Some people are our age, like we're 29. Some people our age don't have that emotional intelligence. And it just amazed no. me. No, like I yeah. I feel like I'd never know when, you know, maybe in hindsight I'd be like, oh, I need it to take some space or I should have stepped away before I said something I'd regret. But like, that's amazing. So I guess yeah. what's that people always say, like the future is safe or something. <laughs> <laughs> I I think we can kind of probably draw some conclusions, but from what you've already explained, but the things that you described, the traits of autism that you described, how could they pose issues when you're traveling? I would say for me, one of the things, because I mix up or may not fully understand where someone is coming from or how they're feeling, and when you're traveling, you can't, like you just can't. (laughs) You're going to different countries, you're in a hostel, you could be sitting at a table with 10 different cultures, which in one way, forces everyone into that boat because no one can assume how everyone else is feeling. So it almost leveled, I found it almost leveled the playing field because everyone is awkward. No one understands what's going on. So everyone just has to be really open-minded and direct with who are you, how are you feeling, what's going on. So I found it very, uh, I guess the word could be liberating because it made me it forced me to be open, but it also forced neurotypical people to also be open because they had to experience what it's like to not understand what's going on around them. And yeah, when I reflect hey. about it, it made it it made it almost like a safe space. Like I never, I to this day, traveling. Maybe it's autism. Maybe it's just traveling in general. It was the happiest time of my life. Yeah, genuinely. Yeah. That's and yeah, I was going to ask you then, like, tell me a little bit just about your travels in general. 
So I landed, so I finished my master's in marketing on the 22nd of December in, I don't know, 2017. And the very next day I was on a flight to Australia where I landed on Christmas Eve to surprise my sister in Perth in Western Australia. Had a great time there, uh, spent a month in Australia, but then I said, well, I'm on this side of the world right now, I might as well go traveling. So I took a flight to Japan and accidentally forgot that the uh, seasons changed from north to south. So I arrived in Japan in the middle of winter in shorts and flip flops, <laughs> and it was minus twenty degrees. <laughs> oh my it was god! Pretty but it worked out for the best, as I ended up going to the Winter Olympics in South Korea. And then I went to China, Vietnam, Thailand, Bali. Then moved to America for three months in California, where I had a good time. Eventually moved back to Ireland, but as most people that have gone traveling. I felt out of place when I moved back home. So then I eventually said, I'm going to make a move to Australia now. So yeah, I've been here ever since, coming on five years in Australia. Brilliant. And do you think that in your personal experience with autism, like before you went traveling, were you kind of worried about about all that, like before you knew what you know now? I would say I was worried in general. I don't think my autism came into account like of course i got worried of course like i in my head i thought like like what am i going to do in china when there's like when i can't talk to anyone so i i i made mental plans in my head like i legit brought a little whiteboard around with me in china because i knew drawing a photo of a toilet would be a lot easier to sit than trying to guess the words <laughs> and that worked i highly recommend that if you don't speak a language like that a is a great tip. <laughs> everyone, everyone gets it. <laughs> but yeah, of course I was worried. But I just made plans in my head, made sure I had all my insurance, all my visas, made sure I had a plan. Maybe there actually is one thing about autism, because I did notice I had, out of anyone I met, I had the most um, strict and schedule of anyone I met. <laughs> I don't know if that was a safety thing or or what, but... Yeah, I had like a day-by-day schedule of what I was going to do in almost every city I went to. I don't know if that's me. I don't know if that's autism, but that helped a lot. (laughs) And did you plan that like ahead of time or kind of just when you got to each new place? Ahead of time. So I had, so when I landed in Japan, I had my first three months planned, like literally day to day. But if you've been to China, I think this might have been the catalyst because in China to get a visa there, you have to give the government a day-by-day schedule of where you're going to go, where you're going to stay. So I don't know if that was the catalyst. But then after I left that, I only started making plans by the week, saying like, oh, in one week, I aim to be here and do this. Nothing day-by-day. Yeah. And did it ever, like, like I know from my experience traveling that, like, you could plan your route or whatever, and then a bus just doesn't come or... Someone gives you just incorrect information. And did did something like that ever happen? And did that ever kind of throw things off? Or what was your experience with that? (laughs) Especially in China, because people would, one website would say this, another website would say that. And then when you get there, the local guide says, well, the schedule says this, but that's not my schedule. (laughs) So there was some days where I just had to end up staying in a town or a region two, three more days. That also happened in the Philippines when, if you go to the Philippines, you're very reliant on boats. And yeah, like some days it just doesn't run just because it's not enough people. 
So it does throw your plans off. And uh, there was one day where, do you remember when in 2017, the volcano in Bali erupted and it caused like half of Asia to not be able to fly? Yes, yeah. So I had to overstay my visa in Bali by three days. So then I got massive fines from the government. Police were involved. I had to get letters to prove. But it was only three days. And there was a volcano that erupted. So there was a legit excuse. <laughs> That's so stressful. Did did you get fined in the end or did they let you out with it because it wasn't your fault? Oh, yeah, I got fined about 100 USD. So it's <sighs> luck dropping the open. That's... That's not nice now. Like, it wasn't as if you wanted to... Well, I mean, I'm sure you did want to stay there, but it wasn't as if you planned to stay there over time. (laughs) Yeah. It only comes up now because when you you apply for any new visa, now I'm in Australia, every time I apply for a new visa, I have to declare that I've overstayed a visa before and I have to prove that documentation every time. So it does come up. So yeah, don't overstay a visa if if you can. I did not know that, that you'd have to, that that would follow you around. Oh. Yeah. Every time you get a visa, it follows you around for life. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that is another top tip. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask you a bit more. So you said that, like, there was a positive in that, like, it leveled, like, having autism, or sorry, traveling kind of leveled the playing field for having autism because everyone is a little bit more, like, I guess, out of their comfort zone and stuff. And then you obviously had your organization, which may or may not have been your personality or may or may not have been the autism. But do you think that, do you, are there other traits that benefited you while traveling? That benefited me. That's a good point. I would say, well, probably the organization and probably one thing. And again, it, it is definitely my autism is that I, I'm not very reactive to, no. So I want to caveat this. So most people with autism love a good schedule. As you can tell, I do. However, I'm very good at not being stressed when that schedule changes. And a psychologist did say that's my autism because I'm just not very reactive or emotive to changes. And as you said, when you're traveling, you can't be reliant on schedules. Like sometimes you just have to go with the flow. And I did notice that I was very good at handling those kind of changes. So I do think that was a benefit. The fact that I, could, I can just be so calm and relaxed about sudden changes was a massive help while traveling. Yeah, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. And like, I know for like, obviously my sister um, is on the spectrum too, and she kind of doesn't react too well to changes. Like, do you have any kind of like tips or advice for maybe people on the spectrum listening who do kind of panic when a schedule changes or, or anything like that, who might want to go traveling? I would say... While your schedule check, try and keep, even though we all want to do it, we all want to have a day by day schedule with exactly what you're going to be doing. Try and have a loose schedule or options. So let's say one very good example is, so when those boats didn't arrive in the Philippines, I, once I knew, once that happened once, rather than just making one plan, I would make options for myself. So then I would say, if this boat arrives on time, this is what I'm going to do. If it doesn't arrive on time, well, that's okay. This is now what I'm going to do instead. So I planned for the inevitable changes that are going to happen. So in that way, I wasn't surprised when things didn't go to plan because I still had a plan. So I would say creating a flexible schedule with options that allows you to, one, explore things Because you're going to meet someone in a hostel and you're going to get on with them and then go, oh, let's do this instead. But it's still not going to mess up your plan. 
because it's already part of your plan. You're just being open-minded and prepared for your plans to change. I don't know if that makes sense, but... <laughs> no, it, it, that yeah, makes a lot of sense. Good. So you kind of have like like a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, all dependent on different like outcomes, basically. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, is, that is another solid tip. <laughs> for anyone listening on the spectrum or even not on the spectrum but who maybe like resonates with some of the things that you've described today maybe they're like a little bit scared to go traveling at all do you have any kind of like advice for them there was a saying i learned from a french girl that i met in vietnam she said i can't remember the i can't remember how to say it in french but she said it's better to have remorse than regret being you'll never regret the things that you did do but you will regret the things you didn't do that's the difference between remorse and regret so when it came to me thinking, or like, I did get scared, like, come on, we all do, like, you're, tr- especially if you're traveling on your own, like, I set out in my head, oh, I'm going to be gone for three, four months, turned it to two years, as most of us do, <laughs> and now I'm living on the other side of the planet. So there was moments where I was absolutely terrified. There was, and that came down to just being on my own, um, and when money gets tight as well, yeah, that, that's another a bit of anxiety that comes up because you're wondering, can I even get home? Can I eat? Like, do it, but do it, start off small. I wouldn't say, like, don't go to China first because that was an absolute culture shock. Like, go somewhere that's a little bit more West. If you're, if you're coming from a Western country, go somewhere that's a little bit more Western to, like, dip your toe in first. So, yeah, don't, yeah. Save the culture shock countries for your second or third country. Otherwise, it's a bit overwhelming because I went to Japan as my first country. And yeah, I was an absolute culture shock and I needed to just like sit down, <laughs> like literally sit down. Yeah, I can imagine. So, yeah, I would say do it because I've met so many people, even in my jobs right now. I've met people who like I'm 29. I know people in my office who are 28, married. They got married because of COVID. And now they're thinking about settling down, but at the same time, they're regretting never traveling because when you, when you're almost 30, you're becoming at a crossroads of kids, marriage, settle down. But I've met a lot of people that have regretted never gone traveling because it's when you're young in your life, that's the time where you can afford to make mistakes. So yeah, do it. You'll never regret doing it and you'll come out a better, smarter and probably kinder person for having gone traveling that's amazing yeah yeah i think that's a really good like to start small like i mean if you do a week traveling around spain or something like that's still you're going to learn so much about yourself and about your style of travel doing that week traveling around spain and like exactly even your own country yeah you don't even have to leave your own country like i know this do you remember brian so anyone listening to this podcast marie and i went to school together so there was a guy in our high school named Brian who travels the world. He's autistic, but he hikes everywhere. He will. He doesn't take planes. He only takes trains and buses. And he's gone as far as Kazakhstan on trains and back. I didn't. I didn't know he didn't take planes. Yeah, he's got an amazing page. I'll actually link his page in the show notes because he's got yeah, some amazing like, content from his travels. Yeah, and he just backpacks. Like he tries and hike. He tries hiking and buses and trains everywhere because he just wants to experience everything so and he does it all on his own and i think what he does is far more scary than than what i would do so yeah he's another person to look up as well yeah definitely 
I think it's like different levels as well, isn't it? Like some people are going to be able to do that, whereas some people for them just, as you say, traveling around your own country is a, a challenge in itself. So just like finding like the level that you're comfortable with, the level that you can push yourself a little bit, but like also the level that you're going to enjoy yourself. 100%. Couldn't agree with that more. All right. So before we finish up and I give you the quick fire round, I did want to also ask you, if you've noticed while traveling, because obviously you meet a lot of different people and you deal with a lot of people, if you've noticed that there's differences in inclusivity and accessibility in the different countries that you've visited. Oh, yeah, there's there's an absolute massive difference. And I think, like, reflecting on it now, what the countries that have accessibility and the countries that don't, I think it comes down to just money. Like, the only countries I saw having ex- accessibility were... Japan, South Korea, and yeah, Australia. So in when I was traveling around Japan, I did see like the what the Japanese I love. They're so good. Like you don't even have to read Japanese, or they don't have signs of English. They have like like specific emojis. You know, like the wheelchair sign. They almost have like yeah. different signs for different disabilities everywhere. So it's really like. In tourist places, I did see signs in like Braille, even in Braille, they had like at the tourist center. And then they also had like uh, signs for like deaf people so they could go up and listen to different things in their own languages, as well as have uh, like an interpreter that, that knew different uh, sign languages in different countries, which is pretty good. But in terms of like autistic um, accessibility, headphones, I say that's probably the greatest extent I've seen. Like people handing out headphones in like crowded spaces or theme parks, like Disneyland. Oh. I was in Disneyland in Japan and and in China. Both of them are very different than the one in America. Like as you can imagine, <laughs> it's quite yeah. it's odd. But yeah, there was a lot of yeah. They handed out like like headphones so that if someone like myself who actually gets overstimulated by sound, you could block it out. But okay, yeah. And in now in Australia, just genuinely, so most museums will have quiet hours, like early in the morning. So like, what time is it now? Like 7 a.m.? So you could go to a museum most weekends on a Saturday at like 7, 8 a.m. And they have no music, no noise, and they limit the amount of people in there. So it's like a autistic safe space. That's brilliant. And I can, I can relate with that myself. Like, I, I get really overwhelmed by like, so much noise like i i don't know if you've been to latin america but or how it compares to other places but it's so loud so like the idea of like a museum doing like a quiet hour actually just sounds like heaven after being here for the last 11 months <laughs> it is it's bliss even to just walk around like an art gallery in silence it sounds eerie but it's actually quite it's very relaxing yeah yeah i can imagine that um so before we finish up um, I do have like a quick fire, fire round that I ask everyone, but is there anything else that you'd like to say to anyone who wants to travel, who's either on the spectrum or maybe has like anxiety or maybe other accessibility issues? Is there anything, any final words you'd like to, or final wisdom you'd like to impart? My final wisdom is don't let your disability hold you back from traveling or from you pursuing what you want to do. Because if you, if you are letting your disability or neurodisability, however you want to be called, define what you can and cannot do, you're letting that disability control you rather than you controlling it. So rather than 
being defined by your differences. Let you, you define those differences. You go out and do what you want. You go out and travel. Don't, if you think, like my sister, who is now autistic, uh, she got diagnosed a year ago. She has now said to me things like, oh, I don't want to go to this festival because I'll be overwhelmed. And I look at her and say, Lorna, would you have said this two years ago before your diagnosis? And then she kind of smiles and says, well, yeah, you're right. I said, exactly. So like, why, what are you doing? You're like, you're putting yourself down. You're putting yourself into a box because you think something will happen. I said, all you can do is know yourself, know that if you do get overwhelmed, you, you have a strategy in place. It also goes back to what I was saying. It's better to have remorse than regret. You will have a great time. Yeah. Put yourself in the deep end and you'll come out a better person for it. Yeah, that's my wisdom. Just just do it. <laughs> that was pretty good wisdom. And just to circle back to what you said at the beginning as well, I think about how traveling like levels the playing field, I just think that's such a good one. So I just wanted to bring that up one more time because I thought that was <laughs> was a really good thing for people to know. So my quick fire round that I ask everyone is, in all your travels, what's your favorite food that you've had? Oh, it is 100% a ban me. <laughs> a ban me for people that aren't listening is, it's a, it's a mix of French culture and Vietnamese culture. So those who are listening, um, Vietnam was colonized by the French. So there's lots of baguettes in Vietnam. So you'll have street vendors with these baguettes that are filled with with chicken, pork, rice, like Japanese ginger, some other spices. And you'll get them for like a dollar. And they're so good. <laughs> they're just so good. And then you might even get like a bowl of soup with them where you can dip your baguette in. It's, oh, it's Yeah, nice. it's a perfect mix of French and Vietnamese. It's great. Amazing. Um, and what's your favorite accommodation you've ever stayed in? My favorite accommodation? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be Vietnam again. I found this hostel called like the it was literally called like the paradise hostel so in vietnam you have these rice fields that i would just how i would describe it in my head is it's like a sea of green so just a sea of grass and then you have random little mountains peeping out and it's just it's so lush it's so green and this hostel was in the side of a mountain overlooking the fields where you could sit in the pool just and it was just some of the most stunning landscape I've ever seen. And it only cost about five USD a night to stay there. So oh the quality, my God. the quality of the accommodation, the atmosphere. And then I just met some really good people there as well. Yeah. This whole thing could just be an ad for Vietnam. Just go to Vietnam. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds amazing. <laughs> and what's your favorite memory from traveling? My favorite memory? Oh, I was in China. My favorite one, so uh, yeah, there's going to be a few, but I'll say the one, the most memorable interaction I had with a person was, oh, that's what, that's what I'm putting this down to. So there was this, when I was in China, I was in a, it was my first night in Beijing and there was one other, there was me and another Chinese guy in my room who was there in business. He didn't speak English. So I took out my phone. I put on the VPN you have to use when you're in China. So then I started talking to him using Google Translate like as a voice. And then he was also talking back to me using Google Translate. And eventually he said, let's go to the bar. So it's me, a Chinese guy, not knowing how to talk to each other, but we're using Google to talk to each other. It was one of the most, I'll say, human interactions I've met because like it just, it showed that we don't understand each other's culture. We can't speak the same language, but we ended up at a bar for like four hours having a good time, having a laugh. 
And what makes that a conversation also so memorable is that when I, when I go to China, I think it's, I don't know, like I had this idea in my head that it's all communism, that it's all very like controlled. And it turned out this guy worked for the government. He was in the party and he, he asked me, like, what app are you using to talk to, talk to me? And I told him it's Google Translate. This is banned in your country. And the look on his face. <laughs> really? And then he started asking me, like, like, why is this banned? I don't understand why this is banned. And then I asked him, why does China ban things? And then he got very political and was saying, well, we want to control how China evolves. So it showed, like, there was a clash of cultures, but also just a real human connection. Because we just, at the end of the day, it was two guys in a bar. He was telling me about his wife. Yeah, it was it was a really pleasant night. Yeah, great. That's amazing. Like, the human connection is what shone overall. Like, it didn't matter that you maybe, like, disagreed on things or whatever. It's like that human connection was the most important part. That was, yeah, that was the most memorable thing. Like, I will remember that for years. And I still bring it up because it's, it's a good story yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and then last one, what's your favorite country you've been to? Oh, well, we know, we know what it's going to be now. <laughs> I've said it like three times. It is Vietnam. The reason I love Vietnam so much is the people. I met some of the, so I don't know if you know this, but I actually got into a really, really bad bike accident when I was there. I ended up in hospital oh. for a day where I oh, crashed. God. Yeah, I crashed my bike. I was going up a mountain and there was two trucks coming against me, like one truck overtaking another truck going around a mountain, like typical Vietnam. Because I had a choice of either going into the trucks or going into the mountainside. Of course, I picked the mountainside. But then I ended up yeah. breaking a few bones, a uh, few of my ribs, and my bike. Of, of course, I, I broke the bike, but oh well, I lived. But when I got hopped to the hostel straight away, the people there, all of the enemies, picked me up and brought me to the hospital. They stayed with me. They brought me food. And not once did they ever ask to pay. Not once did they ask for money. It was the only country I traveled in Asia where no one asked for anything. They just helped. And they were so nice. And the food's amazing. The weather's amazing. People are lovely. Yeah. I, again, this is sponsored by Vietnam. This, this, <laughs> yeah, highly recommend going there. Great place. Yeah, I, I've only heard good things, but it, you've really sold it to me even more so on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> All right, well... Thank you so, so much for talking to me, for your honesty, for like sharing all your experiences and stuff. Like, I really do appreciate that. And I really hope that anyone listening, that it will inspire people to take that leap if they are interested in going travel, in going traveling, but just a little bit worried about, I don't know, things getting in the way. So I really hope that's inspired one or two people. I hope so too. And now this is, I want to do a podcast every morning now just to make my day. Like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> What a good start to the day. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Recipe to the Road podcast. If you want to contact the show or you have any comments or questions, you can get me on Instagram at recipe to the road or by email recipe to the road at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow my journey and see what I'm doing at the moment, you can also see that on my Instagram at recipe to the road. Thank you for listening.